to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. This episode of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast is proudly brought to you by Rocky Analytics. Rocky Analytics is providing significant value to teams by giving players and coaches a transparent, non-biased way of measuring player performance. Coaches and players can identify strengths and weaknesses, as well as measure performance gains and losses week to week using their analysis. Send Rocky a copy of your game and they will do the heavy lifting. Rocky is the future of sports analytics. Find out more on Rucky.com, R-U-C-K-I-E.com, or look for them on LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube. Hi, coaches. Hope everyone's doing okay during these pretty unique times around the world. Uh, I just wanted to pass on a quick message uh, to encourage all coaches just to just to hang in there and to think about one of the values of rugby, which is uh, solidarity. Uh, this is a this is a pretty unprecedented time in our lives, and think I think we need to show solidarity within the rugby community around things like shutting down our programs, making sure that we're practicing really good social distancing, that we're not engaging with our athletes in person in small groups, one-on-one, anything like that. doesn't mean we can't stay connected with them, and that's probably where we've really got to step up as coaches and, and, and be leaders. And that's, you know, reaching out to our, our community, reaching out to our players, reaching out to our, our coaches that we work with, and just seeing if someone needs a hand, do they need a chat via Skype? Is there a way that you can boost them up? How creative can we be? Uh, with our coaching and with our leadership uh, during this time. So, you know, we, we know our players well. We know the players who, who might need a little bit of extra help during this time. So let's make sure that they're getting the attention they need. Uh, this is where you can really engage your leadership group as well. So, you know, hang in there. Keep, uh, keep doing the right thing. Uh, remember solidarity. Remember social distancing. Use this time to, to really knuckle down on your, on your leadership skills and, and making sure your, your, your community, your tribe's doing, doing well. All right, cheers. All right, welcome to episode number 78 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Jim Mackay. Jim is the attack and assistant coach at the Queensland Reds. He was previously with the Reds from 2009 to 2013, where they were successful in winning the Super Rugby Championship in 2011. Since that first stint with the club, he has gone on to have coaching roles with the Wallabies, Cabelco Steelers in Japan, as well as a number of consultancy positions. It's a pleasure to have him on the show, so welcome, Jim. Thanks, Andrew. Pleasure. Yeah, no worries. Good to good to chat, and um, you know, it's a pretty pretty exciting time in in Aussie rugby right now. So we'll we'll, we'll chat about that, no doubt, down the track. But um, how how uh, what's your what's your rugby back backstory, playing backstory, and how'd that end up uh, getting you into coaching? Um, I'm from I grew up in, on the northern beaches in Sydney, Australia. Yeah, and uh, my club was Moringa. Yeah, and uh, Mighty Rats. I played all my junior rugby there, and yeah, Moringa Rats. And uh, and then I played Colts there, which was a fantastic period of time under 19s, under 20s. Yeah. And I played great there. 
Um, our coach there was a guy called Rod McQueen. Oh, yeah. Uh, who some people will be <laughs> familiar with. For sure. And um, then I went to uh, Randwick Rugby Club. Mm-hmm. It was all, all amateur. And um, and also I had in between, in the latter stage of my career, one year at Gordon right. uh, Rugby Club in Sydney. So what was interesting there, Andrew, was that um, you know I played first grade and second grade at all those clubs, which mm. is a privilege. But each club was um, club champions. So um, yeah. what I learnt there, my influence there, was the importance of a, the club. Mm. So if every every team from the Colts to the grade um, had an importance to play for the, the greater cause, which was the whole club itself. So, for example, at Moringa, we played pretty much a 10-man rugby, but we also we were successful at that. Yeah. And um, we, we trained hard. We were very fit. And uh, a bit of a chip on our shoulder, but trying to prove other people for our significance as such. But um, we were, and like I say, club champions. Then we go to Randwick, completely different playing philosophy, um, mm. a total self belief in the way the game can be played all through the grades and all through the Colts and of running rugby. So, and that was successful as well. Yeah. Um, then Bob DeWi was our coach there, and um, rest in peace, Jeffrey Sale as well. Yeah, so, yeah. and then you go to Gordon guy called Chris Hawkins was our coach and that was the first time I was exposed to more strategy so changing tactics for different teams and games so I was very privileged to a be a part of successful clubs but um, it opened my mind to, to showing that there's a different way to, to achieve that yeah yeah that's a, that's really interesting like yeah you couldn't get two different different uh, outlooks there Randwick and, and Waringa like that's kind of like northern hemisphere, southern hemisphere styles almost, but but still, there's you know there's no right way or wrong way to play rugby, and they both teams yeah. found ways to win. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And what about coaching? How uh, who who tricked you in the coaching? Out of all those coaches, uh, well, <laughs> you got a few good I was ones. At Randwick, it was obviously I was always amateur. Yeah. And um, and uh, so. It was in, during the period of time, some of the uh, superstars, the um, Ellers, the Campeses, mm. and all these sorts of guys were starting to get interest to go to Italy or France, and um, so they they were starting to go there, and um, I had this um, uh, a guy called John Collins actually came and asked me if um, I would like to go and play in England, and uh, I, I'd never been away out of Australia, and... Uh, uh, a bit of the insular peninsula down on the northern beaches, and um, <laughs> I thought, I thought, why not? And um, so I, I went over to a club called Stourbridge, which was like Division Five, mm. and um, it just, and so it was a player coach role. So that's how it started, and uh, it just opened my eyes to uh, so many things, um, a different side of rugby, yeah. more, more so probably the enjoyment, the club environment, and um, I just started coaching there, and. Um, and it's, I ended up spending – I did come back to Australia for a year or two, but I went back to England and um, I spent 15 years over there starting in uh, Norwich, North Walsham, who London won, uh, National League 2 South. So come from quite far back and um, mm. and I just enjoyed giving teams the belief and uh, I was exposed to all this uh, – Promotion, relegation, yeah. cup game, yeah. uh, the pressures of clubs with owners and uh, home and away, the weather. And so it was just <laughs> a, a wonderful opportunity to coach overseas 
And because um, I started so far back and down, um, I just, I, you know, I learned many lessons along the way and it was um, a really good grounding in my coaching background. Yeah, cool. That's, that's actually how I started coaching was a player coach as well. And, um, yeah, very, very challenging. How did you, how'd you find that, that player coach role? Um, I think it's maybe personality driven too, like how different people handle it. What was what was your experience? Yeah, I um, um, I sort of soon worked out that I could possibly be a better coach than player. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was the same. I, 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 I put everything into my playing and tried mm. hard and that, and uh, mm. played with a lot of other good players. But um, yeah, I, I just I just love the coaching aspect of trying to give teams belief and um, and play in a certain style and uh, and. Um, and coming from Australia at the time, we're quite skill skill based, emphasis yeah. on skills and a game based approach. So that was all a wee bit foreign in England at the time. So mm. it was just a wonderful experience there. Particularly, yeah, I was during the day I'd be doing youth development or going around to schools. Yeah. So all that sort of stuff helps. Um, and then, for example, I'm at North Walsham, who incidentally just had a uh, players reunion last week, which was. Um, uh, wonderful to see, but um, and anyway, so um, they uh, I'd be there training, and then I've got fifty five on my own. Yeah, and uh, then for three weeks or four weeks, there's all, all after after teams not turning up because it's harvesting season. You know, they're all <laughs> working on the farms, or um, yeah. or then when I'm at Henley for a couple of weeks, the people would be laid or not there because they're working in the city. So yeah. you soon soon realise that. You know, there's other things in life, and the and the different things that you have to learn and adapt to coaching at that level. But that all was a really good grounding for me. Um, working out where the clubs are at, um, you got the off field, you got the players, you got the club itself, and you know you got to be all in alignment. And that's what I, I just assumed you want to win all the time yeah. and get, get progress. But some clubs weren't set up for it or weren't ready for it or. Um, so I learned I learned a lot of really important lessons all all the way through at every every different club really. Yeah, oh, that's great. Well, in in that chat there, you mentioned a bunch of uh, really well known coaches. Were there any like coaches who were like big influences to you know shape your your coaching philosophy now how as it stands? Who who are some of the biggies? Um, the, the the main influence around um, the playing. The playing was, as I mentioned before, the, the different clubs that are that playing yeah. style. But um, the, the main thing I've learned from is really the, uh, I mean, losing is a strong motivator because mm-hmm. you want to you want to get better because you don't want to lose. Um, but the players themselves is the biggest influence you get, I reckon, by, and that's what was good in their formative years. And nothing's really changed, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, yes, professional clubs have more resources and. More technology and all that, but at the end of the day, you've got to um, uh, understand your players where they're at, and and we're not on the field, so you've got to you got to be able to empower them to make decisions on, on the field. So, for example, when I used to coach, I was on my own, and the player they're almost player coaches themselves. The lineout guy mm-hmm. he used to run the lineouts, the the front row guy he used to run the run the four the front the scrums. So it actually worked really well and then you fast forward 25 years and we're sort of trying to do the similar sort of things to yeah. hand over for them guys to look at the videos and for them to uh, 
make decisions on the field. So mm. for me, it's sort of come a full circle. But um, yeah, the, so apart from the players, um, I've I've known um, uh, Bob DeWy has been pretty good there. I've known him since mm. my Ramwick days. Yeah, um, he's a good guy to talk with about technical stuff and the principles of the game. So he, he's been really good. Um, there's a guy called Bede, Bede and also a guy called Renzi from a company called Gazing High Performance. Right. Um, they've, worked, they've worked with the All Blacks and a few other leading organisations. So they're more on the mental side. Mm. So they've mentored me for over 20 years now. Wow, um, Just along the lines of about being on task or off task. Um, so that, they, they've been really influential and a great sounding board. Um, and then... Um, I went to. I'd been coaching for a long time, uh, fifteen years, and then I, I decided I needed to. I wanted to go to university um, to to learn more about it and mm-hmm. get some um, accreditation, I suppose. Yeah. And um, there's a lady there at Sydney University called Dr. Donna O'Connor, and she's the uh, coach educator there. So she's been really influential in in as well. So there's a few other people like obviously you and Mackenzie. Yeah. Uh, Worked with six years, um, day to day for six years. So um, he he was a really experienced coach, and um, at the end of the day, he gave me my opportunity at Super Rugby level. So mm. I'll always be indebted to that. And he was a really smart guy and well organised. And mm. um, in that coaching team, there was Matt Taylor, mm. Damian Marsh as well. So we all all worked really well together. And then um, I suppose the only other ones is really um, overseas. I've got to know. Um, uh, Stuart Lancaster as well. Yeah. We have good chats. He come and visit me in Cornwall. Yeah, nice. And uh, and we catch up. And then um, Dean Ryan as well. I work with at Worcester. So right. um, yeah, there's a few guys there that got some good experience. And um, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I had Stuart Stuart Lancaster on the on the pod, um, and easily one of the most popular episodes for sure for listeners. Um, He's doing some good stuff on LinkedIn as well around leadership and and some of the more soft skills. Yeah. Cool. Um, you know, like I mentioned in the intro, um, coaching attacks you especially. Um, when, when you first meet up with a group, um, what you mentioned a few different styles there of play when you were you were playing. How, how do you go about looking at a team and designing their attack uh, based on on what you've got on the ground? Um, I think. I mean, rugby's. Rugby is this wonderful game. If you've got 15 players from different shapes and sizes, and mm. the aim of it's to be all coordinate, coordinated together. So um, that brings a lot of challenges in itself. But at the end of the day, Andrew, I, I, I just got this image of a total rugby, of a positive game to play. So you've got mm. to have positive intent mm. um, in the spirit of the game, and and you've got to be positive about it. So. And, and you want to play a positive style of rugby that's that's going to be a efficient, successful, and it's going to entertain people. And if you, yes, winning's important, but if you can win and play in a way that entertains and the players enjoy, mm. um, you know, surely, surely that's going to help. Mm. Um, now that's quite quite a general thing and an ideal sort of outlook, but um, nonetheless. I want to play. It got his image of a positive style, style of rugby. Um, so to get that in, you got to uh, be telling them that we're going to be we're going to run the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, so and then how we do that? You got to set up. The first thing we look at is a clear clear game model. 
So this is this is how we're going to play. This is our framework. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's that's the first thing. Then within that, just get in a few key principles of the game. Remind them of like obviously win the ball, mm. go forward, retain mm. the ball, play to space. So that's that's the principles of the game mm. um, at any level. They don't that's change. Just, that's just rugby. So yeah. you don't want to deviate too much from them things. Um, and then and then the the last thing is. You'll get some some of your own specific principles in. So, for example, don't run out. What does that look like? <laughs> yeah. Or uh, when we when we're going forward, we want to try and do this. Or if we haven't gone forward, how do we generate go forward ball? So mm. they're, they're all just really uh, principles of the game mm. um, that you need to to, um, to to do well at. And then you then just um. The other thing is mainly playing a game-based approach to training. So yeah. when, you, when you're training, for example, uh, using a game-based approach, but <clears throat> put some constraints in. So if you want to work on your passing game, you've got to pass twice. Or if you want to work on kicking, play a game, but you've got to kick or, or whatever it's going to be, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so it's always competitive and it's contextual to the game. So you've got defence, attack. And so you've got some decision-making involved as well. Yeah, no, that's that's key. And I think, um, you know, knowing that you did that, Coach, uh, the the degree at, uni, at was it Uni of Sydney? Um, yeah. University, yeah. Yeah. So that's obviously coming from there, from the from that sports uh, coaching academia side. And I find that stuff fascinating. That's the stuff I really, uh, you know, gets, gets me fired up about, you know, designing um, session plans and things like that. And, but I, I also wrestle with the, you know, continual skill development around that, but also, you know, how do you make sure you're attacking structures and there's cohesions with 15 players, but also that one player and you're working on your skills? How do you balance that? Um, I think with the, um, with the, so you've got the role clarity, so you can mm-hmm. refer to that, the mm-hmm. basic framework, so mm-hmm. that's your structural side. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, then within that, you've got your skill set. So sometimes you might have to break off an element of the game, for example, short side attack, mm-hmm. and you might design a practice that elicits more short side attack against yeah. defence. Yeah. So you can do more some repeat scenarios of that, but allowing the players to find their own outcome mm-hmm. rather than a prescribed outcome, in a, which you tend to get from drills. Yeah. So... Like you say, you might, you might design the practice, the short side attack, but you keep keep going. And they'll let the players discover and find their own own solutions solutions to that. As long as they're adhering to your basic your principles of your game, mm-hmm. um, allow them to explore and, uh, and 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 be creative and um, and keep working on their skill set. So, on that note, a lot of the game possession, for example, is. Uh, you get half your possession from sort of unstructured, say, kicks or turnovers. Yeah, sure. So, um, does your practice reflect that, mm. um, which can appear messy or chaotic at times, but mm. also to allow practice to, if there is a mistake, like, well, play on, you know? Absolutely. Like, like play, play off the turnover. So, you've got two sides of the ball, it's competitive. Um, and then the players just without realising it, learning to adapt and play off stuff like yeah. that as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, all, all my games I always offer double-point tries for any turnover ball if they score it within two phases. 
Um, yeah. Because for sure, yeah, like between forty and fifty percent of the, the the points are coming from that turnover play, and it's just that that coach um, instinct often is to blow the whistle, where it's the, probably the worst thing you can do. Yeah, well, that's 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 right, Andrew. You sound like you're you're on the ball there, but <laughs> also that's within your coaching team. Mm. Um, having a similar approach to practice like that. So you obviously normally got, for example, a attack defence coach or whatever it's going to be or forwards backs, but mm-hmm. having an understanding with the other coaches that for this section of training or this is how we want to want to do it, you know. So the risk is if you're just a, an attack coach and you're doing attack, but if it goes wrong, um, you stop it. And, mm. For sure. Want to get back. It depends what you're trying to get out of training, but yeah. there's 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 attack defence, and then there's the transition, like say game model. Mm-hmm. You're attacking your defence to attack, and then defence to a, attack as well is like then transitions is a really important part of the game. So yeah. at, at definitely at certain periods of time in training, you must you must allow for that to evolve and happen. Yeah. Yeah, cool. All right. And what about what about field position? That's always um, you know if you're looking at the field and you 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 got it broken down into vertical lines or in horizontal lines. How how do you look at that in terms of um, dictating the style of attack? Will you have you know a couple couple of you know options A, B, and C, or will you be more prescriptive in you know this part of the field where we're absolutely doing this, or is it a bit of bit of both? Um. If you cast cast my memory five years back in Cornwall, yeah, and every home game you're playing with a howling wind. <laughs> it's going uh, to influence rain, it, yeah. And uh, that's obviously a, a mitigating circumstance, yeah. But um, all, all things being equal, though, it's interesting to say the um, the the vertical lines looking up the field, which is mm. something we've done here at the Reds this year. So mm. looking at when we come off the sideline, where we're trying to get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, 10, 15 or 20 metres, whatever it's going to be. Yeah. And that, what that allows, so for example, there's a short side opportunity there or attack open. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then as well, if you were to get to the middle of the field, what does that allow? So I love to be able to attack both sides of the ruck. Yeah. Um, which is the thing we sort of had a reputation for back in the day at the Reds, mm-hmm. 2009 to 13, where... There was, there was movement and flow, like an orchestra or like a dance. Mm-hmm. All the players are in motion and um, in harmony. And um, there's movement in your attack. But there's both sides of the rucks where a threat, you know, mm-hmm. so for that sort of thing, we can change direction at any time. Mm-hmm. So uh, then markers, like 20 metres or 50 metres, um, are re- really, really important to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, then if we look at the field, from the our try line to their try line, yeah, you can have your base base principles, but um, that that can change each week as well. So, yeah. for example, we're going to kick five meters from a line, or next week it might be from forty. We want to have more of a kicking game depending mm. on who we're playing. Yeah, but essentially, the things to think about from a coach education point of view is when you're attacking, say from your third, if one was to think about it. They have a front line of attack, but they also have to have what, Andrew? Uh, the defence or the yeah, the defence. So, say I'm asking you, we're attacking from our line, and you're defending. Yeah, they're going to have a back three. Correct. Yeah. So that means one would argue that 
um, that's the better time to run. Yeah, yeah. Because there's more opportunity. Yeah. And at the end of the day, Bob, Bob DeWise says this as well, if your skill level is high enough, there isn't as much a risk. Like, mm. you just got to, if you're good at your skill and execution, mm. it shouldn't really matter where, where you attack from. Yeah. So that's one consideration. There's small space um, to run from your own line. Um, and then the further up you get the field, um, it, it can get more challenging. So, for example, you know, when, when you get in the opposition 22, so mm. normally the intensity goes up and and, all, and there's more defenders in the front line. So yeah. um, the other considerations as well, to answer your question, running from different field positions is the strength of your line-out, mm-hmm. the strength of the opposition line-out. So we played the Jaguars the other week and um, it was more from conceding penalties, but mm. their line-out was very good and their line-out more. So in, that, mm. in the second half, that's how they ended up um, chasing us down and then going, going on and winning the game. So that's a consideration. Um, the... the, the there's this, this, the strength of your opposition defence. So we played the Sharks last week mm-hmm. in the Super Rugby and um, very, very good defence and contested the breakdown. So yeah, they went hard. You know, you know, we, we needed to kick more. So, so it depends on the strength and weaknesses of the of your team and the other team as well. Yeah, that's great. That's, a, that's some really good info there. And um, yeah, the, it's an interesting one there about the we, we, you touched on the set piece there. Um, how going back to attack? How closely are you aligned with what your what your scrum coach is doing and what your lineout coach is doing and where you're getting your source of possession? I suppose for for attack and different launches in different parts of the field. Yeah, so the, that's that's right. Very important the um, chemistry and the and the relationships within the coaching team. Mm-hmm. Um, how we want to be perceived as a team, uh, the strengths of our team. Um, but at the end of the day, rugby principle number one, you've got to win the ball. So mm-hmm. that's more a case of how can we best win the ball from set piece. Yeah. Um, and then, and again, this comes back to my European experience, 15 years coaching over there. The importance of the set piece was just critical. Um, yeah. And how you can uh, manage a game. And also the importance of, the other team set piece as well, so trying to deny them line outs or what that looks like as well. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, so you've got to, um, how are you going to win the ball? So, we're going to win it easier off seven man line outs or short line outs. Mm-hmm. And then I'll tend to ask that question to them coaches, and then um, I'll work, work off that. Mm-hmm. So, if they say we're going to win it in these line outs, particular lengths more so. Um, or, for example, if they got fast line speed, we might think about our delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, so down and down and give, or off the top, or mm-hmm. so. And then, and then, um, and then also critically having the nine. So whether we deem number nines as um, something that Scott Johnson's talked about, which I agree with, is is your nine a scrum a half forward or half back? So yeah. um, often you look at the. Forwards and backs might train in isolation, but I believe when you look closer, the delivery off the set piece, whether it's eight nine or the delivery, is um, almost equally as important mm-hmm. to get get your back line going. Mm-hmm. So that's that's another key consideration there. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, that's 
and there's so many moving parts, like you say. It depends on the opposition of the the day. It depends on your 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 players, and you know you throw an injury in there as well, and uh, that changes changes everything up a little bit as well. Yeah, yeah. So you, yeah, that, that, that's right. And um, the, the different different challenges it being the Super Rugby tournaments, and even back in England, that championships. I was coaching the championship for ten years. Mm. Um, without actually coaching the premiership but it's like 35 40 games a year and cups yeah motion relegations different weather conditions different sorts of teams really really great grounding around um coming up with strategies how to counter um, i remember plymouth grand door there that a fantastic mall they had a mall all over the field you know yeah how do you how do you cope with that or win that or beat mm. that so yeah, set piece and how you use the ball or is um, is a big one. So that relationship with the set piece coach um, is, is vitally important. Yeah, cool. And um, you know, we're seeing we're seeing a lot of the defenses getting more and more structured every every season, and um, line speeds like insane with some teams and what, what are some advice for for coaches uh, with regards to you know managing a, an opposition's you know, defensive line speed or you know if they're if they're they're trying to break a really well structured uh defensive line what are some of the things um that that you know coaches could be thinking about there i think um you're right what you say um certainly how i coached as in a as, say a playing philosophy or an attack philosophy mm-hmm. has had to evolve or adapt over time so even this is my second time back at the reds um what i've noticed is that um uh, I'll get to the answer in a minute, but what oh, I've good. noticed is that, yes, defences have inc- not only incrementally improved, but a lot. They've improved a lot over, say, the last decade, and they continue mm-hmm. to improve. So, um, And also the players, how they've been coached. So my guy, our, our, our average age is 22, I think, or 21 and a half, wow. which is actually actually the lowest in the whole comp. But yeah. Um, we don't actually mention that. I'll talk about that. But it's like how how them guys have been coached the last ten years. Mm. Normally within a school system, which will be quite structured from um, and, and regimented from an attack perspective. So mm. they're used to that um, sort of structure approach. Mm. Um, and then you, and then you've got defences as well that have improved a lot. So which certainly uh, challenges your skill set. So you need to have a balance. The first thing is, I tell the boys, there's always a weakness. For every strength, there's a weakness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you have an um, up-and-out defence, that's a strength, but there's mm-hmm. a weakness. If you have a fast line speed, that's a strength, but also there's a weakness. So you've mm-hmm. got to be able to um, understand the weaknesses. And, for example, you might play into the rush defence, and then and then go again, Adam. Mm. So they, mm-hmm. they can't keep coming can't up. Fall, if you get yeah. quick ball, which all comes back to the principles of the game. You got to win the ball, then you got to go forward, and if you can create quick ball, lightning quick ball, and keeping the ball alive, the defence can't get set. Mm-hmm. So that's just the basic core principles of the game that we're, what we used to do at Randwick, and um, that I believe are really important. So, for example, offloads, mm. quick rucks attacking both sides of the ruck. So our attack aim is to go at the defence. They're not coming at us. So, But if you get slow ball, they're, conversely, they're trying to slow it down. So um, 
you need to get a balance of, of then suddenly making the game more unstructured or a bit chaotic. So, for example, kicks, um, turn if there's turnovers and quick taps, and you know, get you got to go, you got to find their weakness. So um, there's always a weakness. So, for example, maybe you get to the middle, and then you can go short side, or mm. they, they can't defend everything. So. You need to keep asking questions, which again challenges your skill set. And it probably comes back to my last point on the topic is that if the players have only known a structured system, uh, what we've worked hard on here is that, and because we do have a young profile group, <coughs> is, there, is there education around the game, around mm. uh, problem solving, or yeah, like, like you say, say you're playing against a team with really fast line speed, what are we going to do? Mm. <laughs> how, do yeah. how do you, you know, or, or they don't give you a line out ball or so we spent quite a long time, a lot of time this year in the off-season workshopping some stuff and the education around mm. that, whereas in the old days, um, and again, I'll come back to my England ex- European experience, you come against all different styles of teams and weather conditions, and um, I think naturally you, you learn to evolve and adapt and be exposed to them sort of different scenarios. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I, I um, having watched the the game against the Sharks, I knew you were going to mention offloading uh, at some stage in this uh, in this interview because I think well, I, 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 it's the first thing I coach a team is is um, around the principles of play and then offloading before rucking. Um, yeah. I think at one stage it was ten offloads to one against the Sharks in that first half, so um, that must yeah. have made you pretty happy. Yeah, well, we've. Um Last year, we, we were where we at and, um, you know, we were building and getting our base game in. But um, uh, we, we actually recorded the least amount of offloads in the whole competition wow. last year. Okay. So that's actually not a reflection of how I like to attack. Mm-hmm. But this year, after five games, and um, probably the process started, I coached NRC this year mm. with Brisbane City. And mm. um, I said, listen, this is how we're going to play. Um, a, we're going to enjoy it, and this is how we're going to play. Yeah. And um, that probably started the catalyst for starting it with this group. Mm. And um, now, we, um, as we currently speak, anyway, we not only scored the most tries, but we've, we've actually the highest amount of offloads in the comp. So yeah, it's quite a, a paradigm shift mm. in uh, how, how we're playing. So um, you know, but again, around your offload, Andrew, as you'd know. Um, sounds like I'm preaching to the converted here, but um, <laughs> I love it. Though. I talk some, about it all day. <laughs> yeah, you got to have some principles around it, some mm-hmm. rules. So um, whatever your rules are around it, like you know, win the collision, sight the target, yeah. got to be a good pass. But and then then you can measure it. So that comes back to your principle of the game. Yes, mm-hmm. we can offload, but there's some rules around it, and yeah. um, you, can, you can practice it in design little games that elicit offloads. Mm-hmm. But just making sure you're adhering to your principles of it, um, whatever it is, or it might be two pass game, offload game, uh, creating quick ball game, um, mm-hmm. whatever finishing game, whatever, whatever you want to do. But have an have a, uh, attack defence, and just put some con- a game base, but have some constraints on the practice. So by that, what I mean there, the constraints is you might put a couple of guys in yellow bibs, and they've got to get touched twice. So yeah. you're actually encouraging. Uh, offloads, but the big thing as well is um, the support play as well. So oh, for sure. we've worked really hard on the principles of supporting the ball carrier. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they, they make a huge impact to your game. You know, yeah. support 
the nearest support around the ball carrier is really, really critical, which often gets overlooked or not coached. So I, I totally agree. They've got to be they've got to be thirty centimeters away from the the ball carrier, not not three meters, um, for for it to be an offload, like a good offloading game. And uh, I think there was a couple of clips going around. The Rebels seem to be doing a little bit of it as well, and um, all the Aussie teams seem to be doing more offloads now than than in the past. I didn't know that stat about you guys last year compared to this year. Um, but yeah, I think it's I think if there was one area of the the Aussie game that I'd like to see more of is is absolutely that because when it's on, it's devastating. But I think at the same time, coaches are so hesitant to coach it because they feel that it's just going to result in um, you know giving up possession. But I, I just think you can work around that with with the concept of offloads. Are, it's got to be a hundred percent offload. Um, it can't. If you look to offload it and you don't offload it, you've still done a good job. Uh, you can't just be giving the ball away uh, just because you, you're allowed or you know you're encouraged to offload. That's right. Yeah. So you um, uh, offloading. Um, often now you've got to go through defences because mm-hmm. they are mm-hmm. well organised. So you, you have to go. You can always go over the defence. Mm-hmm. You can go around the defence, or you can go through them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously, offload um, is a way to go through the defence. But the the good thing of it is that it keeps the ball alive, so it doesn't mm-hmm. allow the defensive line to get set, and then then they can press fast on you. So mm-hmm. it's the same with quick ball producing quick ball. Yeah. Um, you can you can almost play on top of the defence, um, which is the aim. But they're trying to do that to you as well. So. Yeah. Um, it, it's a it's a real arm wrestle there around speed of I think I think speed of people talk about the gain line but which is important but mm. speed of ball yeah is equally or if not more important yeah because if it's a fast recycled or you know keeping the ball alive mm. then you then you keep you like jab 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 and you'll end up getting a weakness in your way you know mm-hmm. yeah. so. Um, but then, if it does become slow, you need some principles around, which happens because you've got yeah, good defence. But yeah. you've got to have some principles around how do we how do we generate quicker ball, mm-hmm. and then or do we kick, and what that looks like. So mm. you know, yeah, these, these are the, these come back to your principles of your game, really. Cool, awesome. And what about what about that that grassroots coach out there? Um, you know, that, that's me, and that's probably a bunch of the listeners. Who you know they might see their t- team twice a week. They probably get to spend maybe an hour of that week on attack. Um, what what advice would you give them uh, for how they go about it? Uh, well, there's two things. Um, bloody good on you for out there coaching. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> for sure. It's a, yeah. it's, a wonder, it's a wonderful game at yeah. all, all sorts of levels. Sport and rugby meant to bring people together, mm. and um, there's some of the lessons I learned very much so. Um, in, in my formative years in England, it's, um, I was very serious about the, the winning, mm. um, but you learn that rugby is about bringing people together. So well done for being involved. Um, I, I think um, the, the advice, oh, there's two things as well. So the first thing is, even if you are an aspirational coach, uh, so I, rem- I remember when I had my test match, we played against England at Twickenham mm-hmm. and um, I was with, with the Wallabies. And um, and uh, after the games, and uh, Stuart Lancaster and Andy Farrell uh, presented me with um, a signed England shirt, and uh, Kevin Bowring as well, who was the head of um, 
coach education there at the time. Mm. And they presented me with a signed shirt and said, uh, Jim, you, you've been here, you started so far down the levels um, in English rugby and we see you as an English uh, developed coach. Mm. And so my message there, even if you haven't played international rugby and no matter how low you start, so I started down in London, one teaching at schools and a bunch of farmers and all that, mm. um, you can still get to where you want to get. So that was mm. the first first message. And they, they said that. They said you're a great example of that, that you can get there if you're determined enough and that. Now, now that, so that was one thing to message to all the coaches out there. Awesome. If that's the way you're inclined or whatever. Mm. I've made some mistakes along the way and um, <laughs> all, all that sort of stuff. But mm. um, And rugby's not the most important thing. But mm. anyway, uh, the second thing is uh, make it fun. Yeah. Like... It's, and, and, and that's a huge message for whatever level you're coaching, really, mm. but whatever level, ability, boys, girls, make it fun. And um, you've got to be organised with your sessions, which helped help me as well. Like I said before, you plan training and then your front row wouldn't turn up for a month because it's harvesting <laughs> yeah. season. You don't know these things. So you've got to be able to be planned but then adapt as well. So And then um, and I just encourage you as well to make it a game bait kids always say they want to play a game mm. so if you can do skill skill games or make it like a game but incorporating your skills and make it competitive as well keep a score mm. and then implic- implicitly they're learning stuff without realizing it yeah. whereas when you see a drill based or structured patterns is it really relevant for kids or any any age really mm. just when they're trying to learn or develop so um and and like I say, game-based approach, just put some rules around the game depending on what you want to achieve, mm. make it competitive and um, allow allow the playoff mistakes because that's that's the reality of the mm. game. Yeah. And uh, did I mention fun? Yeah. yeah. So uh, <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to enjoy it, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, after the game, shake the hand of the opposition, invite them into the dressing room. Yeah. And if you've got a clubhouse... Spend some time in the clubhouse because sport and rugby is meant to bring people together. So yeah, uh, for sure, uh, it's some wonderful life lessons there, and the, and the, and the friendships you make they're long last. You don't sort of realise till you stop playing, but mm. it's a bloody good game for bringing people together. Absolutely, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that that fun aspect—it's amazing how many um, how many guests I have on the pod like talk about that, and it's it's so important. You know, it's like. Especially like and like you said, it doesn't matter what age because you know coaching senior rugby is like that guy might have had the shittest day of his week at work, and he doesn't want to have two more hours of of, of grief. He want he wants to come and unload, or she wants to come and unload in on, in the in a rugby context and have fun and and you know play and not stand in line behind a cone or you know hit a be hit with a tackle bag or, or anything like that you know they want to they want to get stuck in and, and play the game yeah. so yeah i couldn't agree and, more and that comes back to the club and that's some of the lessons i learned early on i just assumed that we want to win like mm. we've got to win but the players some of the clubs i was at they weren't quite ready uh they got the idea but they weren't <laughs> quite they're not set up to because one of the clubs, for example, if we were to get promoted in England, um, it means that the travel would almost triple all over England because they were playing in a regional um, comp like South, say South West, mm. which is one area. But then if they went national, the, their travel would 
triple, B, the cost for the club would, would double, which mm-hmm. they weren't really ready for, and then mm-hmm. C, they've all got jobs. So yeah. they weren't really set up for that, some of the clubs. So mm-hmm. you need to be in alignment. And so work out, if you're coaching a school or mini juniors or a, a, an adult team, work out, well, boys or girls or what, what are we about? What do we mm-hmm. want to do? And how do we want to uh, go about it, you know? Mm. So um, we want to play a certain way. We want to enjoy it, um, whatever it is. So it's all bespoke, which means it's it's specific to um, each club. You can't just assume as a coach that yeah. this is what we're going to do and this is how or why, but you've got to, got to take some appreciation of where the club's at. Um, like the Reds, for example, at the moment, we're, we're a building club that's heading up. Mm-hmm. But, but there's a journey to go, so yeah. <laughs> so that's it. This is where we're at. But yeah, you can't I think skip whatever, steps. Wherever you're coaching, though, whatever level. Another thing I'd say to all the coaches, especially um, grassroots, is just stick to the principles of the game about mm. teaching them how to pass the ball, support play. Um, you know, the, the the basic principle of the game: winning the ball, going forward, retaining the ball, then how how we want to use it. And um, mm. if you don't deviate from them too much, you're going to be going to be going all right, and then to enjoy it afterwards. Yeah, for sure, no doubt. All right. Well, um, before I get to the final four questions, um, it's exciting times with uh, Aussie rugby right now for a new Wallabies coaching staff. What 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 contact have you had with the coaches, and um, you know what, what are you looking forward to about about the the new changes? Um, I think it's probably a good time for. Uh, the freshness of a, a new coaching team, which mm-hmm. is exciting, yeah, uh, and that's good. And um, the, the three people, the main people at the moment, well, there's four: Scott Johnson, and then Dave Rennie, mm-hmm. Matthew Taylor, and Scott Wiseman. Also, mm-hmm. um, actually, no, especially Matt, having worked with him before, and Scott, yeah. well, and um, and uh, when I was with Kobe Steelers, we had a relationship in Japan. We had a relationship with Chiefs, and Dave was there then. So. Right. I can only say from a personal level, there's three um, really good good people there. Yeah. And uh, when, when I say good people, like r- good rounded people and um, rugby people, when I say that, they're experienced in rugby in a few different um, uh, competitions. And so I think that, that mix will be really healthy yeah. and um, bring good energy to Australian rugby. Um, so they're, they're personal people, so it'll be good. Mm. And um, they've got some experience there as well in different competitions, which I think is useful. So, for example, mm. Europe, Super Rugby, um, across some different levels of the game. So I think that it's, um, you know, they, they, they've got around to all the provinces here and um, they're approachable. And um, I think there'll be good some good bridges built there between the provinces and the national team. Um, which can be having worked at the national team before can, can be challenging at times, yeah. but there's some good people there, and I think it's going to be um, it fares well for the future. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty excited as a fan, so uh, can't can't wait for the Blazers to 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 get get here. Uh, that'll be that'll be pretty awesome. All right, well, we always end the the show with the same final four questions. Uh, first question: When you uh, when you were a kid and you first got into the game, first got excited about it, who was who was one of those players who really really got you interested? Um, I, I think um, I can only remember when I was really really little, waking up early and watching the Grand Slam tours. Yeah. Uh, in, as a kid, it was always like um, um, 
in, in, in um, England, obviously, so the time difference was big. So mum used to, um, uh, my mum was a huge influence on me, but she, she'd wake me up half asleep um, <laughs> and then, then wake me up again and then miss most of the game. But them Grand Slam tours and the history of the game, the history and the tradition of the game, of the, of the watching the Australia play, mm. that very strongly resonates with me. Um, and then, and then also, um, so when I went to Randwick, particularly um, to play with the Campeses and the Ella brothers, yeah, um, awesome. the Poitiers and all the team there, but mm. it was probably just a different level of skill and um, a way of looking at the game and approach. So them guys. It was pretty inspirational to be be around them and showing that how the game could play be played in a certain way mm. and a certain skill and mindset. Um, so that that was really impressive for me. That stood yeah. out for me, and I've never forgotten that. As I said, the lessons I learnt from Moringa as well around hard work and um, a collective club environment. Like everyone mm. apart, everyone is valued from the groundsman to the to the shirt man or the doctor everyone plays a part in the club and mm. needs to feel valued mm. um, so that was some very good lessons from Moringa cool cool and what, what about now second question who, who are some of the players around uh, that, that you like watching whether it be in Australia or in uh, you know Northern Hemisphere or elsewhere yeah I was thinking about the answer here and that that Colby the guy the South African yeah yeah he's playing, uh, so he, Colby, he, um, yeah. he electrifies things up and I think yeah, he's pretty awesome. Yeah, I really like the way um, Toulouse play at the moment. Right, um, and that's what I base a lot of my coaching philosophy on around there. How they used to play with support play, mm. keeping the ball alive. Yeah, players in motion. So yeah, I when enjoy they, watching them. When they won the Heineken uh, Cup, they were unreal. That that group of players, yeah, that 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 the style of game they played. Correct. Yeah, and um, but to be honest with you, I, I, I like watching our Reds players play. Um, I get great joy out of seeing them do well mm. and, um, yeah, giving them belief. So I get the most joy out of my players. Yeah, that's so awesome. So when, when they do something well, because I sort of hear you have a bit to do with them mm. and obviously they can do a lot more than what I could do, but to giving them the belief and the encouragement and um, to see them do well and, and grow and improve, that's that's probably the biggest joy I get out of when I watch um our team, my team play. Yeah, cool, awesome, love it. Uh, third question then: Who's a, we've talked quite a bit about coaches here, and who's a, who's a high profile coach that you you like what they're doing and 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 like how they run their teams? Well, um, there's two, if I may say, that I'd like to Ooh. mention. Um, and there's obviously a special mention to Ewan, who I worked with for six yeah. years. Yeah, I've talked about him already. Yeah, um, there's two guys. So first one, Stuart Lancaster. Yeah. Uh, who I've known for a long time. We used to coach against each other when he was at Leeds and I was at Cornish Pirates and all them teams. Mm. But um, uh, actually, a special mention to Cornwall. Very proud of my uh, Cornish <laughs> heritage. Love and uh, the Celtic stuff down there, the singing after the games. Uh, it was just wonderful. So coaching at, a, at an environment or a team that you have a connection with, uh, like a, you're playing for the people, like a mm. place... Um, and Cornwall, all the clubs I felt that I'm at, but um, especially Cornwall, that was just awesome. So I'll never forget cool. that. Cool. But anyway, getting off the topic a bit there. <laughs> it's all good. But, but uh, Stuart, Stuart Lancaster, so seeing him come through, 
Um, we always talked about football. Like I said, he'd come to visit me in Cornwall a few times. We've mm. kept in touch. Um, he, he acknowledged my journey as well um, mm. when we played against each other. But then he obviously uh, left England, but then he's managed to not reinvent himself, but mm. um, stay strong and, yeah. and, and, and come back mm. and do have success at Leinster. And at heart, he's a real coach, yeah. like on-field coach. And um, he, he was humble enough to learn lessons and, and he still wants to always learn and grow. So I really respect him for where mm. what he's done, but also how he bounced back from his situation. For sure. And then um, the other one's Brad, yeah. who I'm working with now, Brad Thorne. So a young, amazing documented playing career. Um, I mean, they asked him to do the job here. And for what he's done... Um, culturally and his vision is I, I really really respect him for that um, mm. I'm, I mean I'm playing a supportive role but um, we're right behind him and uh, it's been it's been a lot of things that happened the last two three years here that are pretty challenging and tough so first first go at head coach um, <laughs> it's not easy so I admire mm. him for thick skin and um, and learning quickly on the job and um He's a really good man, and I'm uh, privileged to be working with him, so I really admire him as well. Awesome, awesome, cool. And then last question, um, who's someone in the in the grassroots around around your area in Queensland uh, that deserves some recognition and a bit of a shout-out? Uh, there's a couple of guys in Queensland. There's a guy called Elton uh, Berange, who's been at um, University of Queensland for over 10 years. Right. He was, he was my assistant at... Um, uh, NRC City this year, and right. he did a fantastic job. But that's someone who's plugged away um, Colts and Mini Juniors, and just he's just didn't club land. It's it can be tough to get a, an opportunity if, mm. if you are that way inclined to, at the next level. But he's someone there, and then um, another guy, Nick Fogarty. He's coached, I think, for over fifteen years in in all sorts of levels in Brisbane competition. But the other main ones, a guy called Brad Free, who runs a um, used to play for Queensland. He played at Ulster and Saracens scrum half. Right. But he um, he runs a, a thing called C two K, which is Caps to Kids. Um, it's a voluntary uh, rugby academy, and there's over 300, 400 kids turn up on it. I think it's every fourth Sunday, and he gets a whole lot of past players, international players, to help with the coaching. That's awesome. So he's he's doing this thing that working on their skill development. Anyone can come. It's for free. Mm. None of the coaches get paid. So he's a guy that had a vision to do something that's just grown and grown and grown, and um, he makes it happen. So, yeah, he, he deserves a big plug as well. Oh, absolutely. What, a, what an awesome initiative. That's that's a great way to wrap things up. All right, Jim, that's been awesome. I've loved this chat. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of things you're, you've you've been talking about really resonate with me and uh, how I see the game and, and how I want to coach my team. So uh, it's been awesome and I'm sure listeners have gotten a huge amount out of it. So really want to thank you for giving up your time for to come on the show and have a chat. Pleasure and uh, thanks a lot. Yeah, no worries. Cheers. This episode of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast is proudly brought to you by Rocky Analytics. Rocky Analytics is providing significant value to teams by giving players and coaches a transparent, non-biased way of measuring player performance. Coaches and players can identify strengths and weaknesses, as well as measure performance gains and losses week to week using their analysis. Send Rocky a copy of your game and they will do the heavy lifting. 
Rocky is the future of sports analytics. Find out more on rocky.com, R-U-C-K-I-E.com, or look for them on LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us via Twitter at RugbyCoachesCNR or via the website therugbycoachescorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.